0: It's the Rock and Roll Whiskey Show. The show where we talk about a rock and roll album, then pair it with just the right whiskey. Now here's your host, Mark Donner. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Whiskey Show. My name is Mark, and my two favorite things are rock and roll and whiskey. On this podcast, I put them both together. I listen to a rock and roll record in the same way that you might taste a whiskey, making observations throughout the record, then coming up with final thoughts and opinions at the end. After that, I'll pair it with a whiskey that I think matches up with it in an important or unique way. So today we're kicking off this podcast with one of the bands you think of first when you think about Southern rock. And I'm talking about Jacksonville, Florida legends, Leonard Skynyrd. Now, Skynyrd had tremendous success with their first two albums with songs like What's Your Name, Sweet Home Alabama, Give Me Three Steps, Simple Man, and of course, Freebird. Album number three, released at the height of their success, proved to be a bit of a challenge to get together for the band, though. For all the normal rock and roll reasons, fame, drugs, alcohol, excess, hectic touring schedules, you get the idea. Nothing Fancy was recorded, for the most part, in Web4 Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, with producer Al Cooper. Not that one, Al Cooper with a K. Upon its release in 1975, the album managed to become their first record to reach the top ten, peaking at number 9 on the Billboard Top 200 chart. However, critics had mixed feelings about it. Some admired the authentic touch of southern charm and rugged blues rock. Others lamented that it didn't quite measure up to the finesse and coherence of the band's previous two albums. Regardless, Nothing Fancy remains a solid embodiment of Leonard Skinner's signature rock sound. So let's do some listening. Now, for copyright reasons, I can't play... The actual music, unfortunately. But I'll sneak in a few tiny clips here and there. I've got the links to the albums in both Spotify and Apple Music in the show notes. And I'll link to it on Amazon, too, so you can buy the vinyl if you prefer. Better yet, if you want to support your local record store, I highly recommend that you do that. A lot of times you'll be able to find that Nothing Fancy on vinyl used. I bought mine recently, actually, for 10 or 11 bucks. There's a lot of them out there. You can get a pretty good deal on them. One, two, one, two, three. Saturday Night Special. The opening track, Saturday Night Special, is an ominous journey. Skinner has a sound that is somewhat ominous at times. They had that power to do that that not a lot of other bands had, and I don't think it's because of their tragic history that actually came later than this album, but I think it's just a product of their roots and their upbringing and their location. Saturday Night Special had that ominous journey with guitars that just teeter on the edge with harmonics and a real thin crunch, and I think this track feels somewhat angry and bluesy, but yet thin, particularly on the drums and also in the guitar lead. The bassline throbs throughout, especially on the main guitar riff and in the chorus. Even though it's not slow, it unfolds like a ballad, telling two poignant stories with substantial social messages about the dangers of handguns, something that's still obviously relevant today. This is a good song, despite my talk about the this, it still has a really compelling feel to it, and it's a song I like a lot. Cheatin' Woman. Huh. Cheatin' Woman's track two, though, and it's a time machine. Transports you to a little bar, maybe in northern Florida or Mississippi in mid-70s. The live-sounding track is guitar amps that hum bass lines that are a little muddy. It just sounds live. It's really got a good sound. Then there's the organ, which I think actually was played by Al Cooper, the producer. He's a accomplished keyboard player. Not Billy Powell, who I love. is one of my favorite rock and roll piano players. But Al Cooper handled this stuff on the organ. And it adds a really great touch, driving straight ahead with blues. And it has that ominous feel that Saturday Night Special has as well. Railroad Song. Railroad Song is the next song. and. I'd call it a sonic interpretation of a journey along the railways with a percussive harmonica played by Whit Jimmy Hall. You got to keep on smiling. In concert with Artemis Pyle, the drummers, hi-hat. It shares a reminiscent echo with a song that came later, actually, at least the version everybody knows, Train Train by Blackfoot. Although it actually predates that recording because ricky medlock's father shorty medlock ricky medlock of blackfoot of course and now is in the touring band of leonard skinnard currently but shorty medlock was ricky's father and he recorded and wrote that song in the 60s got a similar feel and a similar theme to it of course with that harmonica that just kind of mimics a train horn but then i think the track also draws inspiration from old gospel and blues standards like this train for instance and you can google or youtube the song this train and get all kinds of different versions this train is a clean train Sister Rosetta Tharp, who you just heard, Big Bill Broonzy. It's even a version with Johnny Cash and Roy Orbison, among others. There are dozens of recordings of this train out there. It's an old gospel song from over 100 years ago that is very well-known, would have been well-known to Ronnie Van Zant and others, and I think there's a lot of influence on what Railroad Song is. Railroad Song is actually just a good song on its own, though, without all of that. The song maintains a constant tempo rolling along the track, or rolling along the tape, I guess, until it kind of retards towards the end, slows down up to the end of the song. One of my favorites on the album, put together really well. Really like it. I'm a Country Boy. I'm a Country Boy is next, and it shares some musical DNA with Railroad Song, as well as a couple other songs on the album that I'll probably talk about in a minute. But it is lively in the chorus, and it delivers a message Promoting Southern life while critiquing life in the big city, it feels still relevant today. With many people opting to leave the bustling city life or the hard times of the city, to quote the song, for a quieter place in the country, particularly the South. So it's interesting. It's not my favorite song on the album, but it's got some moments. On the hunt. On the hunt is another one, and you hear this one quite a lot, and. It announces itself with a strong opening riff that echoes throughout the song, almost creating a drone-like effect. The bass guitar mimics this pattern in parts. And then there's a little flourish on the keys that I think is what makes this song. Adds excitement, adds suspense, adds interest. Billy Powell adds that little keyboard flourish at the end of each verse and then a little bit in the chorus. Really puts something unique and something interesting on this song. But the repetition of that riff over and over again is a little too much for me, and it's a track that I don't return to as often. Am I Losing? Am I Losing is an interesting song for me. I'd call it an intriguing mix of sound, vibes that might be reminiscent of Steve Miller Band. You know, the Joker and a couple of those early Steve Miller Band albums were out by this time. Also 70s AM radio, especially in that It's So Strange. I sang on the podcast. I didn't intend to do that. That part in the bridge just sounds like something you'd hear on AM radio in the 70s. And the solo, actually, on this song is more akin to like a Dickie Betts Almond Brothers band solo than a typical Skinner type solo, which I kind of like. Almonds are my favorite Southern rock band, one of my favorite bands. And the end has a little riff that tips its hat to Sweet Home Alabama just a little bit. I like Am I Losing a lot. Made in the Shade. Made in the Shade is an old-time throwback song that revives the spirit of, I would say, old Delta blues with maybe a hint of ragtime, particularly in the solo and in the piano parts. Listening to it might make you feel like you're listening to a 78 RPM record on an old Victrola. The single bass drum hit periodically through the song is simple, yet prominent. And then there's that 12-bar blues bass line that really keeps the song locked in. Jimmy Hall returns with his harmonica on this one. And Ronnie Van Zant contributes with one single, kind of uninspired yodel. Now we get to the last song. Whiskey Rocker roller The reason I chose this album to kick off the podcast with. It starts off with two chords, reminiscent of Led Zeppelin's Good Times, Bad Times. But it doesn't stay that way. It's really just an old-time rock and roll tune with a dash of 70s country. Honky-tonk piano from Billy Powell is a key ingredient here, along with a suspense-filled chorus that kind of slows down to halftime, and there's quarter notes in the rhythm, guitar, and bass line that just really build up the energy and the suspense. Interesting how a slower tempo can sometimes build suspense. You'd think it would be the other way around, but not always. And then there's a line in the last verse, but I'll quote, quote, she likes to drink old granddad and her shoes do shuffle around. And every time I see that girl, Lord, she wants to take me down. End quote. More on that in just a little bit. The placement of this track that closes the album, I think it's off. I would have put this at the start of side two and then brought Made in the Shade as a closer. Kind of a old timey ragtime blues sort of song to close out the album. Not my call. So what are my thoughts on Nothing Fancy? All in all, it's a good album. When compared to the band's previous two albums, as the critics said at the time, it does lack that same level of craft, production quality, and performance. There are simply more songs and better songs on Second Helping and Pronounced Leonard Skinner, their first album, that are of higher quality than on Nothing Fancy. But there's no real bad songs on Nothing Fancy. It just doesn't rise to the level of their first two. Now, on this podcast, I've got a system that I'm putting in place where I'll place an album on the shelf. You place a record on a shelf. That's normal, right? But I'm actually going to place it on a liquor store shelf, a metaphorical liquor store shelf, if you will, that the better albums, the premium albums, the top albums in my mind will be your top shelf pick. The not so great albums, and I probably won't put too many like terrible albums on this podcast because why why would I don't have to so why would I but the albums that are just okay they're going to get a middle shelf pick and that's where I'm putting nothing fancy today I'm putting it right on maybe the second from the bottom to the third from the bottom right in the middle type shelf if we got a five shelf rack of records here it's enjoyable it's worth listening to it's a good album just not at the top of the heat. It's not a premium record. Saturday Night Special, Railroad Song, Am I Losin' and Whiskey Rock-A-Roller are my favorites on this album. They're just not quite what those first two records were. Now let's pair this with a whiskey. And you might remember Whiskey Rock-A-Roller. I quoted you some lyrics. She likes to drink Old Grandad. Old Grandad, if you don't know, is a bourbon. Not only is it a bourbon, it's a classic bourbon brand that might evoke Imagery of your very own granddad perhaps retrieving a bottle from that little cupboard above the fridge that he kept his liquor in. You know the one. It's an iconic name and it continues to hold its place in the annals of bourbon history. In 2023, at this time, it's a product of the James B. Beam Distilling Company, makers of Jim Beam, Booker's, Basil Hayden's, and a lot more. The name Old Grandad actually is a moniker for Basil Hayden Sr. That's what they called him adds another fun little connection to the brand. Now, when it comes to quality, Old Grandad's not another face in the crowd on the lower shelves of the whiskey aisle. Usually you'll find it down there because it's an old brand and its price point's pretty low. The higher proof versions, though, particularly Old Grandad 114, are regarded as hidden favorites among bourbon connoisseurs. For this analysis, though, because I actually couldn't find 114 in my local stores, we're going to zero in on Old Grandad Bonded. Now, the term bonded, or bottle and bond, refers to a whiskey that meets the stringent requirements of the U.S. Bottled and Bond Act from 1897. This was designed to assure quality and authenticity, guarding against adulterated or counterfeit spirits. To bear the bottled and bond label, a bourbon must be a product of one distillation season, so one calendar year, basically, by a single distiller at a single location, aged at least four years in a federally bonded warehouse, under U.S. government supervision, and it's bottled at 100 proof. The bottle's label must also identify the distilling and bottling location. Furthermore, the bourbon must be free of additives or coloring. But by these standards, Old Grandad Bonded is a bourbon that's got some quality to it. Its mash bill indicates a high rye content, mix of 63% corn, bourbons have to be at least 51% corn, 20% rye, and 10% malted barley, which promises some of the characteristic flavors you might find in a rye whiskey versus a typical bourbon. Now, as for the sensory experience, the nose presents an upfront aroma of cinnamon complemented by some sweetness, maybe a hint of oak from the aging. The scent's are mostly pleasant, warm embrace, similar to traditional whiskey notes. The tasting is where it's a little different, and it's got some parallels to nothing fancy. It's sweet, but it's not overpowering. It's not overly complex. The palate has a good dose of cinnamon, falls in line with the nose, obviously. There's an intriguing taste, something akin to what I would call a light caramel sauce drizzled over shortbread, maybe a Walker shortbread cookie, something like that. But despite being a Jim Beam product, it doesn't taste like Jim Beam. That's got your corn, your nuttiness, your fruit, your vanilla notes. Well, Granddad's different than that. It's definitely a rye-forward bourbon. The experience is not flawless. Like nothing fancy, it's a little thin in places. The finish has a tinge of bitterness, which luckily actually doesn't linger long for me, and it is quickly replaced by a sweetness that's quite nice, in my opinion anyway. The warmth and richness of cinnamon and caramel-laden shortbread return each time you take another drink, so that bitter kind of aftertaste doesn't last very long. In its final analysis, and This is not an expert analysis of this guy that likes to drink whiskey and listen to rock and roll. So I'm not an expert taster or anything, but Old Granddad Bonded is a kind of a mirror image of Nothing Fancy, even if it wasn't name checked in the last song on the album. It's a good bourbon. It's not a great bourbon. It's a really good bourbon with enjoyable moments and then moments that are just all right. It's easy to drink, just like Nothing Fancy is pretty easy to listen to. It seems like they go together pretty well. So stop what you're doing right now, if it's safe to do so. Don't hurt yourself. Pour yourself some old Granddad Bonded. Pour it neat or pour however you drink it, whatever. I don't care. Do what you want. Listen to some Skinnered. I'll see you next time. Another episode of the Rock and Roll Whiskey Show will be here soon. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever player that you prefer to listen in. Or subscribe on Substack and get the newsletter as well, which will feature the show notes as well as listening and tasting notes for the featured album and bottle. The Rock and Roll Whiskey Show is a production of Rock and Roll Reclaimed. In the immortal words of our Lord and Savior, Ronnie Van Zant, sometimes I wonder, where will we go? Lord, don't you take my whiskey and rock and roll. See you next time.